This OFI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The Car Guys Report Informed Automotive is up next, but first take a listen to this other fine OPI show. This week's Minutia Men Celebrity Interview with Rick and Dave. We talked to former Chicago broadcaster, current Seattle broadcaster, and that wisecracking kid from the Partridge family. We welcome Danny Bonaducci. Listen to the Minutia Men Celebrity interview on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts, just search for Radio Misfits. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits podcast network. This is the Car Guys Report, informed automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you with us. I'm Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable, and this is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, automotive. another exciting episode we've got for you today. And uh, Lou, as we always do with uh, each and every episode, always a little bit of chit-chat about miscellaneous uh, car stuff at the top. Uh, Don't really have any issues with any of my cars as of late, just been uh, driving everything as much as possible, and... Uh, don't have any issues to report, which I think, especially when you have a collector and special interest vehicles, it's uh, always a good thing to say that things are are okay for now, but then you don't want to jinx it. So I uh, do need a little maintenance on a couple of uh, a couple of uh, cars, but uh, other than that, um, things are good in that realm. So that is uh, very good. And what we're doing, uh, we always like to talk about the cars we've spotted or uh, parked, uh, seen on the road as we're driving just around the, around the, the area in our day-to-day lives, because we do have lives outside of the Car Guys Report, believe it or not. But um, you always like to talk about what we've seen on the roads and then we've added the new part where Lou will uh, talk uh, about one or two cars that he's actually ridden in uh, with his uh, trials and uh, adventures with the uh, car with the uh, his YouTube channel called My Car Story with Lou. There we go. But uh, I did see a couple of um, Lou, a couple of cars uh, classics uh, the other day and it was interesting because these guys, as far as I could tell, they were not together. But literally, these cars were 200 feet apart. One was at a gas station, and one was just on the road traveling uh, westbound on the road. So I don't know if they saw each other or not, but it was interesting that I saw two nice-looking classics uh, so close to each other that seemed unrelated as far as uh, the drivers. Uh, The first one I saw at the gas station was a 1950 uh, Buick four-door sedan. Uh, Looked great in black. Had an older gentleman driving it, and um, that's the one with that big toothy chrome grill on it and then uh like i said about 200 feet down the road on the road uh a 1963 pontiac uh four-door sedan uh was beige in color i don't know if it was a bonneville or not i'm not real up on all the pontiac uh, nameplates from the early 60s but it was a good looking car and uh as we've talked about in uh previous episodes you don't see a lot of uh you know, late 50s, early 60s Pontiacs on the road other than, you know, like GTOs and Tempests and things like that. But seeing the larger 
four-door Pontiac sedan on the road was was very nice. So that was actually uh, very easy car spotting that day because, uh, like I said, they were 200 feet apart. So I put them into the mental uh, memory bank there and wrote them down when I got home so I don't forget about them. That's always the challenge. I got to remember all the stuff that I see <laughs> and then write it down. But uh, what have you been riding around in lately? And, of course, these are not your cars. So, um let us know what uh, what you've been uh, what you've been riding in. So, so for this episode, the ride was a. Uh, I was out in uh, Scottsdale, and um, first of all, uh, we did a podcast with uh, Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Yep, back to you. And back to you. And uh, Steve asked both of us if we had ridden in a right hand drive car, and surprisingly, the only person between the four of us who did was Howard. <laughs> So, uh, How did that happen? Uh, yeah, right. Since we're the car guys, we can't have that kind of a facial on us. So a um, uh, person out there I knew had a uh, TR3, so uh, he was kind enough to let me drive that right-hand drive car. So now the next time we get answered that question, we'll have a uh, you know a positive answer for that. Uh, and that was uh, uh, I made only one turn incorrectly into what I will call oncoming lane. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, fortunately, no one was in that oncoming lane. Uh, but other than that, uh, we successfully uh, drove the car uh, uh, properly. And so you didn't go good. through any drive-throughs, though, right? That was the thing we were saying on their on their program was kind of if you're in, if you're the only person in the car, it makes it a little hard to go through the Starbucks and get your coffee because you got to lean yeah. way over. <laughs> that would be, that would be the challenge. And then the other the other one was uh, when I was out there uh, was a, a brand new Ferrari. Uh, there were only three of them in the U.S. at this point, one on the West Coast, which is the one I was in, and two on the East Coast, which is a, a 2021 uh, Ferrari 812 uh, GTS. And the wow. GTS is a convertible version. Um, the, the GTS is the Grand Touring Spider. That's what that stands for, what it should stand for. And I guess the uh, 812, I don't know, but it does, it does have a 12-cylinder front-engine Ferrari engine in it. So. Uh, it was still in break-in. I mean, it was that new. Uh, but this, but one of the interesting things in the ride is, although I was in the ride passenger seat uh, without the steering wheel in front of me, is, uh, which is the correct way to do it, at least here in the States, they had a readout in front of me of all of the different gauges that the driver sees. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I could see speedometer. I could see RPMs. I could choose music if I like. It was uh, uh, definitely different to be um, a passenger with that much capability. Sure. And how was the soundtrack uh, to that engine? The soundtrack, well, you know, uh, the the car is up on the channel. Uh, So if you went to My Car Story with Lou and punched in 2021 Ferrari uh, 812 GTS, you will hear that soundtrack. But, uh, you know, multiballo. It was uh, absolutely, uh, you know, glorious, of course. And, and since it was in break-in, you still couldn't rev it over, what, 3,000 RPM? So was... No, I think, it was, you know, I think break-in, yeah. No, we were definitely over 3,000 RPM. Yeah, I, I know. Don't think we're, you know. I don't think we were pressing 8,000 RPM, <laughs> that's for sure. So. Well, it's funny, because modern cars really don't need that much of a break-in, really. I mean, you're done in about 500 miles. It's amazing, you know. And not like the old days where you had to like, you know, don't drive it pat faster than 30 for the next thousand miles and things like that. So that's one thing I think that especially when you buy a performance car like that, you want to make sure that you can start getting on getting on it and getting into it as soon as possible. So um, that's very cool, though. And uh, 
uh, very. Uh, do you know what the sticker was on that car? Uh, yeah. First of all, I don't. I mean, sometimes if they have a window sticker, we will show it. Especially yeah. Well, no matter what your car, if we have a window sticker, we'll show it, just because it tells you what the options were, and that's always kind of fun to see what options and what they cost for an option. Uh, but I don't think I had a sticker. But what is interesting, Mark, on this car is when you open up the um, uh, 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 engine area, I believe it was, uh, or the trunk area, the trunk area on this one. Um, and I say that because I actually wrote in another one, and we'll talk about that on the next episode. But they actually have like a build sheet plaque hmm. on the car to okay. show you what the color is and what the options were on that particular car. So I thought that, which doesn't have the price, of course, but I thought that was a really cool, you know, instead of having just a, a fender tag with code that sure. no one can interpret, it actually has, you know, here is the color of the car and here are the options. So that was, I thought that was really, uh, really well done out. I think they do that too, to help preserve the, the uh, value of the car, because there's a lot of people that would sit there and start modifying those things. And if you're, looking to buy that car as a used vehicle on the secondary market, you kind of want to know if you don't have the, you know, if you don't run the VIN number or try to decode it somehow, or you don't have the sticker, at least you've got something right from the factory, right in front of you on the car saying, this is what this car came with from the factory. So at least you know that it's supposed to have, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever on it. And if that stuff is missing or changed, then you know that something might be up. So I think that's a good thing that, that they're doing uh, along those lines. Yeah, it was it, it was really uh, uh, I, I found you know the different convenience pieces I'll call it mm-hmm. you know that, that you weren't really expecting. So just uh, the different ways that car companies are doing this, and that's the fun part about what we're talking about, right? Because we're learning all the time. You know, you see cars, you think you know cars, and then you you know it, it's just more exciting all the time. Well, it's also interesting, too, because Ferrari, you know, I I don't want to use the term mass production, but compared to how many cars they used to make even 15 years ago, um, you know, they're making a lot more cars now than they ever have before. So as far as calling them a mass producer, they are kind of in in their own realm. And I think they're doing a lot of those things because I think that's what it just helps keep track of a lot things like that a lot better and it just is something that they have to do instead of just being kind of like a one-off on every car and hand built and of course they 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 have a lot of that handwork but then a lot of stuff is automated and roboticized uh today but i just think that it has something to do also with their increased production uh volumes that they're up to because i think i i I don't want to quote exact numbers here but i think they're making like ten thousand cars a year now or something like that which is a lot for for ferrari um, compared yeah, to where they sure. used to be when they used to be in the lower, well, well under, you know, like two or 3,000 a year. But cool. Right. We'll look forward to uh, hearing more of your driving or riding uh, adventures, too, as we uh, move forward with uh, each and every podcast here on the Car Guys Report. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast if you like what you're listening to, and we certainly hope that you do. We're available on Spotify. We're also on Amazon Music Podcasts, Amazon Audible. You can find us at RadioMisfits.com online. You can also go to OppiShows.com. That's O-P-P-I-H Shows.com. And you can always email us 
uh, any time of the day or night, wherever you are, whether you're one of our uh, listeners and fans down in Australia, if you're listening up in Canada, in the U.S., or anywhere else in the world, you can always email us anytime with your comments, your suggestions, your kudos, your complaints, anything you want. Send it along to carguysreport at hotmail.com. Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Car Guys Report. I came across this online um, a little while ago, Lou, and this comes from Auto Classics. Uh, And this is something I did not know, and I found it uh, quite interesting. I thought it would be kind of in your wheelhouse, too, because you're the proud owner of a V10 Viper. And, of course, the V10 was the only engine that uh, Viper ever put, uh, Dodge ever put into the Viper. So when... In 1989, when uh, Dodge revealed the Viper and its V10 engine at the Detroit Auto Show, they were obviously thinking it would be a competitor to the Chevy Corvette. So, in the early 1990s, Chevy started uh, thinking, what can we do to counter or perhaps counter some of the uh, popularity and performance of the uh, V10 Viper. So they commissioned a what is called a chassis study, but they actually made one complete car. It's the only one ever made, a Corvette with a V12 engine. Now, what this car looks like, I've got a 1992 C4, so it looks like a C4, but it's been stretched 8 inches from the front of the uh, door to the rear of the front wheel well. So if you are familiar with the car, there's like these uh, strakes or or indentations molded into the uh, fiberglass between the uh, the front fender well and the front door. And that's where they added the extra 8 inches to make room for the V12 engine. These V12s were marine-based V12 engines uh, built by Ryan Falconer Industries. And this is pretty cool. How big is the engine and how big is the V10 in your Viper? Is it 8.4 liters, something like that? Yeah, my, mine is uh, 8.3, but yeah, the biggest one was 8.4. Okay. This was a 9.8 liter, 600 cubic <laughs> inch V12, which is pretty amazing. And this is a, a fascinating um, a fascinating fact on this one car that they did make. It's hard to believe they said that the addition of this V12 engine only added 100 pounds to the overall weight of the vehicle, which is amazing because this thing is just massive. You know, it's all aluminum, but still 600 cubic inches of V12 engine adding only 100 extra pounds to this uh uh, chassis study Corvette. The uh, engines, yeah, the engines cost about $45,000 each, and they were uh, rated at 686 horsepower, 680 pound-feet of torque, naturally aspirated, of course. Uh, and it says far more than the Viper's output of 400 horsepower and 450 pound-feet of torque. And again, that's you know the, the first generation of the Vipers. They called this the ZR12. And they used the ZR1 as the base chassis. So, of course, the ZR1 was the C4 that had the marine uh, Mercury uh, multi-valve V8 engine in it. Uh, so they they started with a good chassis, and they just basically stuffed this massive V12. And to get to the exciting part, you're probably wondering, okay, well, they did all that. What uh, what did it do on the track? In 1993, Motor Trend tested this ZL12, and um, they got uh, performance out of it. They recorded a quarter mile in 11.6 seconds, 
at 133 miles per hour, which is pretty darn good. Uh, They don't have a zero to 60 time listed. But they said that uh, the 1993 Viper could run the quarter in 12.9 at 113. So the Corvette V12 was definitely uh, beating the Viper. Uh, But they just decided that um, they didn't want to pursue it because the price of the engine was too much. And this is in 1993 dollars, 45,000 for for the V12 engine. It would obviously never be a a huge um, uh, volume production wise. So they uh, basically just said, uh, okay, that's it. You know, we're just going to continue making uh, Corvettes with the V12 and continue to massage it and make it as good as possible, which, of course, they've done. And it's come a long way since then, too. But I just thought it was cool to know that they made a Corvette with a V12 engine. And it looks a little ungainly. There's one picture that I'm looking at where you see that extra eight inches between the rear of the front fender well and the front of the front door. And... um, I just think if you saw a total side view of it, I think it would look a little bit, you know, talk about a long deck on a car. I mean, the standard C4 has a pretty long deck as it is, and this thing added eight more inches to it. So I think they would have had to massage that a little bit to make it look a little bit better. But um, just an interesting thing to think about. So you can uh, thank your Dodge Viper, Lou, for... uh, (laughs) for that. Have you ever um, gone into the background as why... Uh, briefly, if you know why or how Dodge settled on the V10 for the Viper uh, versus, a you know, like a big old V8 or something other than, you know, what we would consider to be a normal engine. And they kind of this V10 kind of came out of nowhere at the time, I guess. Do you do you know anything about the development of that or how it came about seeing that you're a Viper owner? Let me give you the 50,000-foot knowledge of what I recall, <laughs> because, you know, we're actually talking about a car now that, you know, we're looking at, I think they did the prototype in, like, 89 or 90. Yeah, it was, 89. That's when it was introduced yeah, at, the, and, at the auto and show. I and believe, I believe you might remember they were partnered with Maserati at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that the the TC, the Maserati TC was the, and we'll be talking actually about the Maserati TC a little bit later in this program, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, so that's where the motor came out of. At first, they were thinking of putting the Ram truck engine in it, Yeah, and they were like, this is just way too heavy, uh, you know, to to, to push around uh, a steel motor, uh, you know, or cast iron or whatever they, they make them out of. And then they finally said, well, maybe we should try, you know, an aluminum with steel sleeves. And, and they, they partnered with uh, Maserati uh, at the time to, to produce that. So, really? I, so my, my memory is, if my memory is serving me, and of course, what's that website? It's uh, our email, yeah. If, if Lou is completely wrong, ladies and gentlemen, please uh, correct him via email at carguysreport at hotmail.com. <laughs> so that's the uh so the hate mail will be coming in the flames i can feel the heat already <laughs> yeah or, or the or the kudos the kudos are fine too so um yeah so that was the uh um my recollection of it and there are some wonderful shows out there uh called how it's made yeah i, I remember seeing those yeah yeah, Did they do one on the Viper? I think I do recall yeah. something on the Viper, but it was the later. It wasn't the, the, the like the later model, the one that came out again in like 2015 or something. I, yeah, I, I think it was actually yes. To answer your question, I don't know if it was as late as 2015. I, I think it might have been even earlier than that. Yeah, so it might have been like 2003 or 2006 or yeah. something like that. But uh, 
uh, yeah, clearly that one they had some of the uh, early history of it, but I think they they may have mentioned some of that in there. That's that's where it's recalling my memory, but uh, I think that's where it, where it came. So, but our our if anybody has more knowledge, email <laughs> us and then mark it. Mark can give you the more knowledge. I, I will slap you down and put you in your place. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. You know, Lou, you've got a damn viper, and you don't even know. <laughs> But uh, let's hope that you're right for the sake of our email I, I, I inbox. Wanna, I want to mention that right there. People say that all the time. They uh, in the comments on the YouTube channel, they're like, "How does this guy have that car and not know what he has?" And yeah. Then, Let me well, I've, I've even said that to you before too about cars that I've I've seen and and then the, what well, the owner says. So. And I've said this before. I said, would you rather be the guy with the car who loved it enough to buy it, or would you rather be the guy with all the knowledge without the car? doesn't have it, yeah. I, I can go either way on that. We've talked about this before on the, on the program. It just annoys me a little bit when somebody's got a really cool car, and they obviously spent a lot of money on it, but they have absolutely no clue what what it means or what it's all about. And that's the only thing that kind of annoys me, because if you have that much money to spend on something that looks that great, you should at least know rudimentary <laughs> things about it. But uh, that will be a topic for another day in time. I think we could uh, ruminate on that for a long time. We're at the uh, point in the program where we like to talk about a car that was either uh, recently sold or for sale, uh, seen online, whether it's at uh, Hemmings.com, BringAtrailer.com or whatever. Uh, basically, get a lot of uh, these cars from Bring a Trailer because that's a very popular um, uh, online auction site. They have 200, 250 uh, active auctions at any given time and a great variety of cars, like we always say. And, Lou, this one was interesting. You know that I have kind of a penchant for big old American station wagons, even though I haven't ever pulled the trigger on one, and I don't really know if I would, but I do think they're... I, I can admire them for what they stand for and what they what they meant to a lot of people growing up. And they have basically been coming up in value very dramatically. And I'm just wondering if this, the results of this auction could signal maybe a slight uh, cooling off of the enthusiasm for large American wagons. We're talking about a 1972 Chevrolet Kingswood Estate. I love that name, Kingswood Estate. Uh, 45,000 miles uh, shown on the odometer, 400 cubic inch V8 with a three-speed automatic transmission, just a classic uh, GM powertrain there. This one was golden brown with the ubiquitous wood paneling on the side, of course, vinyl wood paneling. But the car looked very clean, uh, looked nice and straight. And that's got that cool clamshell tailgate rear glass that we've talked about before on the program where the rear glass goes up into the roof and the clamshell part of the tailgate goes down into the floor and kind of just opens up like that, which is very cool. Now, the reserve was not met on this car. It was bid up to $19,500, so it did not sell. And I don't know what the reserve was set at because, you know, I've seen these cars on Bring a Trailer, similar wagons to this, American wagons, going anywhere between, you know, maybe fifteen, twenty grand and up to thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars and even maybe a little bit more. So uh it was interesting that it only got bit up to nineteen five though, because this is one of the classic big American wagons, big giant uh Chevy Kingswood estate. So I just thought it was uh interesting that it did not sell. Uh, even though someone was willing to pay 19500 for it. So we'll see. I, I'm always looking on that uh, site, and if I see any other how wagons many, that come many, up. How many miles are on that 45, car? 45000 Super clean. It looks awesome. 
It's got bumper guards up front. It's got the, you know, the golden brown is kind of a classic color for a wagon, too, with the wood wood paneling. It looks really nice. Full wheel covers. You got the roof rack on it. So, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it's just what happens with auctions sometimes. You just never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What what conspired to make a car either sell or not sell, even though it, it might be a, a, a screaming deal, and it and if it didn't have a reserve, you know, if this obviously didn't have a reserve, it would have sold for nineteen five or or whatever. But the the market spoke in that uh, in that instance, and that's where the uh, car you know stopped and did not sell. So maybe it'll be relisted at a later date. Who knows? But we always like to talk about uh, the stuff that we see online in regards to uh, stuff for sale because it's it's a great way to start. I say this all the time. If you're looking for a classic car or a special interest vehicle, go to Hemmings.com or go to Bring a Trailer. And just see what cars are selling for that you might be interested in and see what they don't sell for, too. If, if a car like this Kingswood Estate didn't sell, you can say, OK, well, the market spoke at 19.5. So it just gives you a good idea and a good a good reference point to maybe start uh, a car search or a sale, too. If you've got a car that you're looking to sell and you want to kind of get an idea of what the real world value of it might be. It's also a great place to start. Speaking of the real world, we are in the real world here at the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, but you can also check out some of the other programs that might be in the other world that are available on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Like the show, we just talked about our buddies Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. They have a podcast called Back to You. It's an OPI show, legendary Chicago TV personalities Howard Sudbury, and Steve Baskerville talk about their daily adventures and the long list of things that bug them. Although when we were on their program, Lou, they weren't really uh, kvetching about too much. So it was uh, it was a good uh, rousing uh, conversation about everything to do with cars. But uh, hey. Give them a shot. Uh, Tune in to uh, Back to You. It's available on uh, Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits, and when you do, hey, that's where you'll find us. The Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Now, Lou, I know we've talked a little bit about that, uh, I think it was the TR3 that uh, you had... uh, taped for your uh my car story with lou youtube channel and you were telling us in one of the previous episodes the lengths that this gentleman went to when he was getting it restored where he actually had like an extra set of body panels made for this vehicle yes two sets and and that was just in case it got damaged because because he does he race that car like vintage racing or something or he just wanted to have a spare just in case or what was the actual well, I guess it was vintage raced, and then what happened is because it was so successful and the engine was so overpowered, it then became banned in its class because it was too much. Okay. So, so um, you know, I, I guess then at that point it, it went to auction, so to speak, and, uh, you know, that that's what happened with it. So, um, you know. Uh, and then it became available. Okay. Well, my point so, here is, is, and it segues into the next topic, the lengths that people will go to if they're really, really dedicated and enthused and, and totally into the vehicle that they've decided to uh, restore or build or whatever. This comes from uh, Hemming's Classic Car. Pat Foster had a, he's one of the editors there, and he had a, um, 
uh, column on a Bantam recreation. Now, we talked about Bantams uh, a while back here on the Car Guys Report, and one of the things that they were known for was basically one of the first Jeeps that were built in the early 40s. Um, in 1940, Bantam designed their very first Jeep vehicle. It's called the Bantam Pilot Car Prototype. And there's an Australian fabricator, so maybe our um, Australian listeners will uh, know who I'm talking about. This guy's name is Duncan Rolls, R-O-L-L-S, like Rolls-Royce. Duncan Rolls, he's a... Ta- <laughs> Pat Foster calls him a talented Australian fabricator. I think talented is a is an understatement because this guy not only made an exact recreation from scratch of this Bantam pilot car prototype, he went on to build 15 more Bantam Jeeps. Uh, that were successors to the original, basically from from parts that he accumulated and then just fabricating all the other parts uh, on his own. Um, this original pilot prototype uh, sits in the uh, national, the Smithsonian Institute, their National Museum of American History. That's the famous uh, Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. So what this Duncan Rolls guy did is he took a bunch of pictures and measurements and everything because they let him have access to it so he had all this information and all these pictures and all these photos and he basically um collected a lot of uh parts from uh around the country and around the world various bantam parts and whatever he couldn't find he made and it just is unbelievable it says three thousand man hours and tons of money later i don't know how much money and i even hard to believe that it would just be three thousand man hours that he spent he fabricated a lot of the parts like the flywheel he copied on a cnc machine while the starter and generator were reproduced from photographs the entire drivetrain was rebuilt and many parts are made from scratch now this is great he had to um build a lot of the body panels and there's like a little body panel that goes between one of the fender wells and the cowl as they say on the jeep and he had to um it says here those little filler pieces between the fenders and the side panels took 10 days to fabricate because of the compound curves um it says here the body was mostly hand fabricated, including the sides, hood, and corrugated floor. And he said the um, the curved hood was particularly difficult. He made that on an English wheel, and he said that he created a few spares just in case. So there you go, Lou. When you're working on an English wheel, which is that uh, thing that you use when you're hand fabricating body panels. You might as well crank out a few extras because you just never know what's going to happen. It says here that uh, once he got everything put together, it took him another week to finesse all the panel fits and everything. And it's just I just think it's a testament to this guy's dedication and his skill and his quality that he had the had the wherewithal and the fortitude to see this thing through because most people would say like, why would you spend that much time making this Bantam pilot Jeep thing? I mean, it doesn't look like anything special spectacular because it's a a jeep from 1940 it's olive drab it's got you know off-road tires on it no chrome and and it's just amazing but he was just totally totally uh dedicated to it and then like you said he had clients that he built a total of 15 more um successor bantam jeeps to this uh, pilot one so you got to hand it to the guy you can check him out online at brc 
Com. And again, his name was Duncan Rolls from Australia, building his uh, Bantam pilot car prototype recreation. And uh, I just think it's amazing, Lou, when, when somebody is that dedicated to make something like that. And I just, you know, I've seen pictures. I've never seen somebody in person working on an English wheel, but I've seen video of people doing it. And I just... That whole f- hand fabrication of body panels just absolutely blows my mind that they can make those curves and get those, um, you know, the smoothness of everything. And just it's just an art form. It really is. You really, really have to know what you're doing. So hats off to Duncan, as I would say. And I'm sure you would agree. Yes. Um, that's all you have to say? Yes. <laughs> but I... First of all, it's, you know, I, I'm in your area of awe that, you know, you, we appreciate these people's artistry. Yeah. And it's it's something that, you know, sometimes I think when you can't do something, you appreciate it that much more. Oh, yeah, for someone sure. Versus someone who, yeah, I do that all the time. You know, to them, it's no big deal. Uh, but, but, yeah, we, we already love the design of vehicles to begin with. And then to have that skill set. You know, it's like people like to live in a house. Well, you know, when you can build your house, you know, that's a whole, that's a whole other level. Yeah. Right? So, um, you know, I, I can appreciate someone's talent who can do that, and and uh, uh, I, I'm in agreement with you. Yeah, and like I said, I just thought it was a good segue because you were talking previously about that TR3 with the extra set of body panels, and that's just something you just don't find very often. But I'm kind of the same way that if I would come across a car that maybe I own and I, I come across a good parts car or something like that, like maybe with the Saab that I have, the 96, if I would f- somehow find like a cache of, you know, new old stock body panels, which probably don't exist anymore anyway, but if they they were around and they were available, it's something like, you yeah, know, might as well just stockpile these for a while and see what happens. But, um, you know, just a, a, a testament to, to those people's skill and dedication to, to make something that nice. We have sanitized all our OPI shows for your protection, whether we're working on an English wheel or not, but you should still be wearing your mask. I can uh, tell that Lou has his mask on at his home office, which is great. Help prevent the spread of COVID-19 by following the CDC guidelines. You'll be saving the world. And also, be sure to wash your hands. We're at that point in the program where I'm going to go wash my hands. Lou will scrub up, and we'll be right back after this. I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. On the next Back to You, we're going to help you get that new job, Steve. We're going to get you through the interview. It's the interview that's the key. And we'll give some examples of some some things you shouldn't say, like... Like stumbling on the words, like you just did. <laughs> Don't go in there stumbling and fumbling on your words. That's the next Back to You. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. You can find Back to You on Spotify opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. On this week's Free Kicks with Adam and Rick, there's been a first firing of a manager in the Premier League. Yes, yeah, Slavin is out at West Brom, but Big Sam is back. It'll be interesting to see how he does, yes. He's been on every single club. Let's find out how he does here. Listen to Free Kicks on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. And we're back here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. And we've got another one of our famous lists, Lou. I know our listeners enjoy these crazy lists that we come up with. And I always uh, write down on them, I say select, because there's 
invariably the lists that I find uh, from various sources online either have some stuff that I don't think belongs on there or stuff that is just even too obscure or stuff that is not on there that should be. So this is uh, part one. We're going to do part two in the next episode of the uh, Car Guys Report. This comes from Autocar. And it's entitled Cars America Forgot Existed. So that could uh, kind of jog your memory thinking like, okay, maybe there were cars that you just don't see anymore or cars that just weren't sold in huge quantities. Or, you know, we're not talking about like real exotic stuff here or one-offs necessarily at all. We're talking about production vehicles that you could have walked into a dealer and bought and people just forgot they existed. And there's a couple of good ones on here. I'll start with... Uh, in 1974, Malcolm Bricklin, famous uh, car importer, he was famous for bringing the Subaru into the United States. He built his own safety vehicle one, the Bricklin SV1. I'm sure you've got to have a Bricklin on your uh, YouTube channel, Lou, right? I do have. I do have. A, I actually have Bricklin number one. Wow. On SV11. That, that is it. Cool. Uh, those cars came with an AMC V8 uh, originally, and then they moved to a Ford V8 later on in production. They didn't make too many of them. Um, they were in the thousands, I think maybe 3,000 or 4,000 that they built total. But I wrote down as a note here, I've never forgotten about the Bricklin because I always thought it was kind of a funky car. It had kind of these ugly big bumpers on them, but it had the gullwing doors, and, and they're pretty cool cars. They've, they've fairly held up fairly well in the, in the styling uh, department over the years. But that was another one car that auto car feels that uh, car that America forgot existed. Here's one that I'm sure a lot of people totally forgot about. You know, they're all about the new Jeep Gladiator pickup truck that came out a couple of years ago. Well, the original one was called uh, the CJ8. In 1981, um, the uh, Jeep uh, made a pickup truck. They actually made pickups earlier than that, too, but this was uh, one of the, the more recent ones, that the most recent one before the Gladiator. They uh, basically took a Wrangler chassis, stretched it by 8 inches, and uh, called it the CJ8, 1981. And those are actually pretty darn rare. You don't find them too often, and if you find them, they're probably going to go for a pretty good price because people want them. Now, Lou, here's one that I kind of totally forgot about because you saw them everywhere in the early 90s and then like in 10 years they were gone what am i talking about remember the dodge intrepid with its cab forward design dodge intrepid four-door sedan front wheel drive cab forward design meaning because it was front wheel drive they kind of pushed the a pillar and the windshield at a more rake to give you more interior space somehow and it was also it was also the um, they had the Chrysler Concorde LH and the Eagle Vision were the uh, platform stable mates to the Dodge Intrepid. It was the LH platform is what this car was. It was a actually a pretty good looking car. It was kind of a competitor to the uh, Ford Taurus at the time. Yeah, you know, kind of an aerodynamic, uh, big uh, four door sedan. Had a V six. Yeah, I was going to say, did it kind of look a little bit like a uh, uh, Ford Taurus? Yeah, a little bit. This one, the, the 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 Intrepid and the Concorde and the Vision, they were a little wider and a little flatter in their look, not not quite as rounded. 
Um, it was actually a pretty good-looking car, and you saw them everywhere in the early 90s. I mean, they just sold a boatload of those things. And then, like, if you ever see one now, it's just either totally rusted to, to crap or you just don't see them at all. So that was... Yeah. And that, that always amazes me because what did these, where did all these cars go? I mean, they sold hundreds of thousands of those things. I think people just drove them into the ground and then just get rid of them because you just don't see them. I can't even remember the last time I saw a Dodge Intrepid. I mean, the Vision, the Eagle Vision would probably be the one that you would see the least these days because Eagle never uh, sold a lot of uh, cars. Chrysler Concord you might see, but the Intrepid was the one that you have the best chance of seeing on the road right now, and you just don't see them anymore. We've talked about this mistake from General Motors before, the Cadillac Cimarron. (laughs) And I wrote down, I said, I didn't forget about it because it was so forgettable. The Cavalier with leather seats, it came standard with a four-speed manual transmission, though, back in 1982, the Cadillac Cimarron. Now, here's another one, Lou, that uh, you probably don't remember, the Mercor XR4Ti. That was a German-built Ford. Mercor spelled M-E-R-K-U-R, and they did that. It's kind of like a Mercury, but they kind of uh, wanted to market it here with a little bit of European cachet. So they um, used the uh, name Mercor. That was kind of an odd-looking car. It had a big... It had a spoiler in the yeah, back. Yeah, it had, a, it had like a bi-wing spoiler in the back. Yeah. And it had kind of a big, tall greenhouse. And actually, these cars were pretty good. They were German-made. Uh, the Mercar, the Mercor XR4Ti debuted in '85. They they imported forty two thousand of them here in the U.S. Rear wheel drive, and they were actually a pretty decent car. They were well made. They're maybe a little underpowered, but I think they were engineered pretty well. And I had a friend of mine who had a Mercor Scorpio, which was the four door. Uh, sedan version of the XR4Ti uh, two-door hatchback. And his uh, Scorpio was a pretty good car. Remember, he had a manual transmission in it, and it was like a kind of a dark uh, brown metallic. And again, the Scorpio and the XR4Ti, just people just, you don't see those cars anymore, and they didn't sell a lot of them, and they just, you know, I think getting parts for them, at least here in the U.S., would be be a challenge, I think, these days, if you you find one uh, that would be for sale. Uh, the Buick Riata uh, coupe and convertible versions that came out in 1988. That's a familiar one. A two door or a two passenger uh, coupe, uh, sport coupe from Buick. 22,000 total production, which is a lot lower than I thought because you actually saw a fair amount of those back in the day. And that is actually a collectible car uh, these days. I would actually, you know, I'm not a big convertible guy, so I'd probably stick with the coupe. But um, they're pretty affordable, too. If you're looking for, like, an entry-level kind of, you know, Sunday-driving kind of uh, collector car that, you know, won't set you back a lot of money, it should be reasonably reliable, the Riata from 1988 uh, from Buick would be one. We're talking about cars that America forgot existed, according to uh, Autocar. And so far, this is a pretty decent list. We've got a couple more to go on part one here, Lou. We just talked about Chrysler's affiliation with Maserati. The Chrysler TC was uh, built in 1988. Innocento 
You know, Senti made the bodies for Chrysler. That's an Italian manufacturer. And they had um, Maserati, some Maserati components on there, too. I don't know if the engine was a Maserati build or not, but the Chrysler TC, they only made 7,300 of those things. And the most notable thing that I remember back in 1988 when the TC came out was it had that hard top with the porthole window that was reminiscent of the uh, 55 to 57 T-Birds. Um, right. And it seems like everyone was made in like this beige color. I just remember this like kind of like yellow, primrose yellow kind of beige color. <laughs> I don't think I've ever saw, seen a TC in a different color than that. But um, that was a, you know, it's just out at the same time that the Riata came out. I don't know what, what, what the big three were thinking at that time. They just thought that America wanted, you know, these two-door or, or two-seater, although the TC was not a two-seater, but these, you know, higher-end touring coupes or whatever. And, well, they only sold 7,300 uh, Chrysler TCs. So, you know, something, again, that's a collectible car now, and it's it's actually pretty affordable, I believe. I haven't looked at the prices lately. But two more. Uh, one is a kind of an oddball, Lou. I, I'll, I'll challenge you. I don't think you'd have this on your... Uh, on your YouTube channel because it's a it's a pickup truck, but it's the Dodge Dakota Sport pickup truck, which was actually the convertible pickup truck. Do you remember those? Had a soft top that went over the in place of the hard cab and a roll bar in back. Oddball yeah. looking vehicle. Well, see, seeing that it's my car story, very few pickups <laughs> have made it, but a few have slipped in under the radar. Um, was that one of them? No. Really? Yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you this, it does have me curious. First of all, the Dakota was not, we're talking, I, I do remember that. Wasn't it like around 84, 85, 83? Uh, 89. There. Well, this one came out in 89, but. Okay, 89. So what happened was, you know, in 89, I mean, there were very few American products that were worth much. I mean, maybe the Corvette. Uh, Viper wasn't out yet. The uh, uh, the Mustang was the, the Fox body. That was okay. Uh, you know, Trans Am still had a vehicle. But, um, you know, you had four-door Plymouth Horizons, uh, the, G, the GLH. <laughs> yep. you, know, you know, there was uh, – uh, I can remember 89 in particular because I bought a car, and I went in and I said, what's the cheapest car you have? That's the one I want. And what was and it? It was a four-door uh, 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 Chrysler Horizon or uh, Dodge Horizon. Okay. I, I think it was a Chrysler Horizon. Well, it's the same thing uh, as the Omni, the Dodge Omni, and then the... They, yes. Was, was it the, the Plymouth Dodge Horizon or the... Chry Plymouth, Plymouth Horizon, Plymouth I think, Horizon. yeah. There you go, Plymouth Horizon. So they gave me a four-door Plymouth Horizon uh, with a stick and, you know, roll-up windows. Yeah. And, where it thing, and uh, that was just so that I could drive my 88... Uh, Ford Mustang GT without because they couldn't drive it in the snow, yeah. right? So, yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, so there were not a lot of really. I, I I would say, as a normal person trying to buy the car, there was the Trans Am, the Z28, and and the Mustang. Those were your three American options. So when they came out with that Dakota pickup, trying to make it like a Jeep, yeah, with the top that came off it, I I just didn't. I do remember it, but it wasn't a good reason why. I yeah, it was it. an it was, odd. It, it looked really weird with the top up because, you know, I, I think a lot of, even today, I think a lot of convertibles don't look good with the top up. And with the top down, it was just like, okay, what's the, you know, what 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 is the idea here, basically? What are they trying to do? But 
you know, I they had it out for a while and people bought them and they're they're available here and there. I haven't seen one on the road for I don't know how many years, but they're out there. Uh, but I, you know, at least they gave it a try and made something different, you know. And the last uh, car that America forgot existed, at least on part one of our list, we'll do part two in the next episode of the Car Guys Report, the original Saturn S series from 1990. Uh, Saturn's uh, tagline back when they opened their uh, factory in Spring Hill, Tennessee, was a different kind of car company. And for about the first uh, three to five years, they were a big success. And then they just kind of GM once again, as they are wont to do in so many different cars, they kind of started diluting the car, became a uh, basically a, a chassis from Opel after a while, which is not bad, but it just kind of took away everything that, that the Saturn was known for. They made a million in the first five years, but not many around today. So I haven't seen a sat original Saturn S series for a long time. And again, that's another car we've talked about this phenomenon before on the show is that, you know, a car in, in here, it's not that old from 1990. So it's 30, 30 years old. If you see a Saturn S series, the original Saturn on the road today, you'll be shocked at how small that car is. Uh, because back then they didn't seem that small, but when you see one today, if you see one, they're tiny. And it's just funny how that kind of, you know, transforms over the years, but a million they made in the first five years. And how many are, how many are around today? They didn't rust at least cause they had the space frame chassis, like the Corvette with the, uh, uh, resin, uh, plastic body panels attached to that, uh, space, uh, frame. But, um, Saturn, they used to do like the Saturn homecoming every year where they would invite Saturn owners down to Spring Hill, Tennessee. And it was just amazing. They really had a thing going for a while. And unfortunately, you know, Saturn is uh, a brand that is uh, that is no longer with us in the world of cars. If you like what you're listening to on the uh, Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, you can catch us on a lot of different platforms. Make sure you tell your friends and family where you can find us. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Android, Stitcher, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music Podcasts, Amazon Audible. We are just everywhere. A couple other ways you can find us. You can go to opishows.com. You can also go to radiomisfits.com. And remember, too, that every Radio Misfits podcast is free, and it's listening on your own terms, whether you're listening in your car, your office, you're taking the dog for a walk, you're doing whatever on whatever kind of device, your cell phone, your tablet, your desktop, your laptop, you're in the car listening through uh, Apple CarPlay or Android Auto. Who knows what you're listening on, but we're glad that you are listening. And remember, it's listening on your own terms. Uh, any time of the day or night, you can fast forward, rewind, replay, do whatever you want. That's the beauty of podcasting. And remember, too, if you're listening to the Car Guys Report and you want to subscribe, please do. You'll get an automatic push notification every Tuesday. That's when uh, our new shows come out and you'll be uh, totally up to date on uh, what uh, Lou and I have been uh, talking about here on the program. It is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Mark Vernon along with Lou Costable. And I know, Lou, you're just champing at the bit here. We're at the point in the program where we're going to play the Car Guys Report guessing game. So tell us how it works. Well, if this is the first time you've played the Car Guys Report guessing game, I have a YouTube channel called My Car Story with Lou. Uh, subscribe to that. Hit the bell if you like the videos on there. Uh, because then you'll see all the cars. So I picked three cars that were a couple of weeks out, let's say, 
that we're all in the same week. You could video the same cars and have completely different results. But we guessed the highest viewed car of the three I'm going to share. And then uh, second place, of course, would be the second most views. And third place would be the third most views. So this one's pretty clear. The winner, the middle car, and the loser. Sometimes they're right on top of each other, but not this time. And I always give Mark, who hasn't seen these cars uh, or has an idea of the views, um, them by earliest to latest views. Or, or, excuse me, earliest to latest years. So, as an example, the first one is a let's ride and review a 2016 Porsche 911 GT3. Okay. The next one is a 1973 Chevrolet Camaro Resto Mod with a 6.2 liter uh, engine in it. And the third one is a stock 67 Oldsmobile Olds 442 Cutlass Supreme in bright red. So you just did that backwards because usually give me the oldest one first. Ah, and okay. me, <laughs> you're like because when you started with the 2016, like wow, you really started with the new stuff. So we're probably gonna get like a 2019 right, so and a 2020. Let me do it the right way. So the '67 Oldsmobile Olds 442 Cutlass Supreme is the oldest. You're correct. The second oldest would be the 1973 Chevrolet Camaro Resto Mod with a 6.2 liter engine, and the third one is the Let's Ride and Review. A 2016 Porsche 911 GTS GT3, yeah. GT3. GT, GT, GT I think, I think it's GT3 RS, yeah. Right, thank you. Um, uh, and what color? Light. What colors were these cars? So the the Oldsmobile was bright red. The Camaro is white with blacked out grill pieces hmm. and blacked out headlights. So in other words, where there's chrome, it's black, and the uh, good question, by the way. And the Porsche was lime green. Yeah, I had a feeling it was going to be that lime green. The reason I, I asked what color is because I think in the video visual uh, arena of, of videos that the color can sometimes sway the popularity of the video. Um, so if you're doing a, a video on a, a beige Maserati TC <laughs> versus a lime green Porsche, uh, who knows what the uh, what the uh, count would be on the Maserati but you know my heart says that the the Porsche but then I know that for some reason these these exotic and and supercars uh tend to not do as well as some of the older cars um the 442 was it did it have any stripes was it was it a factory 442 was it anything that made it stand out f- from a visual standpoint on it uh all all stock appearance okay hmm that's a tough one because I know the rest of mods can go either way, too. Actually, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I might be completely wrong. I'm going to go in the uh, order that you presented them from oldest to newest. So I'm going to say the 442 was the, was the, was the winner. The Cor- uh, Camaro was second, and the Porsche was third. Ding, 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 I ding, got it. 100%. Wow. Amazing. I knock it out of the park. That's good. And you that said it was a was, clear delineation too between each one. Yeah, there, that one. Uh, and let me give you the uh, the numbers. So the the oldest one, the '67 Oldsmobile Olds 442 Cutlass Supreme, had 5,757 views. The Camaro had 1,730 views, hmm. and the Porsche at the time didn't even hit a thousand views. Wow. It had 819 views. Huh. That's yeah, wild. 
Yeah, so that's, uh, uh, which might I add, uh, one of the interesting things about our guessing game is uh, you never know. Because, exactly. Uh, you know, you can throw a car up that you don't think is going to do well at all, and it does fantastic. And you can throw a car up that you think is, you know, great, and it does nothing. So, uh, <laughs> And I got a, I, I, I did a home run today. I haven't had one for a yeah. while, so. Yeah, you, you nailed it. One, two, and three. Awesome. You hit, the tri- you hit the trifecta. Well played. Cool. Thank you, Lou. Thank you very much. Just remember that if you haven't uh, spent some time on Lou's YouTube channel, it's called My Car Story with Lou. Over 1,500 car videos, 85,000 subscribers. Definitely worth your time to uh Take a visit over to My Car Story with Lou on YouTube. And remember, we do play the Car Guys Report guessing game here on the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, it'll be a story about Porsche's electric sales are accelerating, plus part two of cars that America forgot existed. We'll have a couple of uh, more interesting ones to uh, talk to talk to you about then. Uh, thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have had you with us today. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi is hippo spelled backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place and that would be radiomisfits.com. This Opi podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The proceeding was a presentation of OPI Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of OPI Productions. Tony, can you shut up? I'm Kimmy. I'm Tommy. And I'm Sam. And on And Friends, we tell you how to kill people legally. Where gaming meets porn, friendship is found. And I tell the jury where I hid things in my special place. All that and more on And Friends. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to my special place. Radiomisfits.com. On this week's Minutia Man with Rick and Dave. A real life Big Lebowski. Change my diaper, please. Tips for young dads. Mayor chooses a colonoscopy over a council meeting. Rick's brush with an Elvis impersonator. And twas the night before parents. Christmas. All that in unlimited tangents on this week's Minutiaman. Listen to Minutiaman on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, a rare AMC Marlin sells for more than the cost of bait, plus more cars you may have forgotten about. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Lou Costable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, and Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs> <laughs>